mass audience outside of you. this guy in Chicago, I was there last week or two weeks ago, and uh, he was talking about a, a psychiatrist he knows who did his thesis on AA. He wasn't in AA, he wasn't in recovery, but he did his thesis to become a doctor, I guess, of psychiatry. And his whole distillation of, the, of his observing AA was just that everyone in AA is just trying to learn how to stop playing God. Yeah. Now, for me, I like to look at stop playing God or playing God as the verb which comes from reliance on self. So you're relying on self and that when that reliance on self is in place, then its activity is playing God. Self plays God, mostly through your head, yeah. Mostly through what they say in AA as an acronym fear, false evidence appearing real. So the head represents the day, represents your life, represents the future constantly, and it presents it in, in a false evidence sort of way, and it has an effect on you when it appears real yeah, to you. So that's the fear. So the false evidence is the mental process of alcoholism, playing God. The appearing real is the godlike quality that you are. That's what gives us a sense of reality, is when you identify or believe in the false evidence, it seems to be real based on your godlike energy. It uses God to play God because you're identified. Your energy to me is God energy, not you as a body, but you. When you're identified with a mental process called self-centeredness and it's presenting you as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, reinforced by perceiving this body and thinking it's you and having a feeling it's you and having a sense of being a historical figure and all this and all that. That identification transfers your godlike juice to the mental process and then it plays God with that juice. Yeah. And it can make false evidence appear real, which it does. And it goes to such extremes and we're so used to those extremes, we take them to be commonplace. But if you just looked at them with a little distance, you would see the insanity of it. Where does most of your anxiety come from? Are you asking me? No, I'm oh. just putting it down. <laughs> 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 You're going to be tested later. That pause was good, though. That was it. The anxiety that most of us are experiencing, let's say now, and it's an effect that's showing up in the body and the brain and the mental process as part of this body, is actually a product of what's not happening, literally. Because right now, there's really nothing to be afraid of in this moment, is there? I mean, no one's pulling a gun on you, are they? Nothing's actually, there's nothing to have a response of fear about here. But we're in the reaction to, to something that's producing anxiety in the apparatus. Your nerves are shot, your mind's racing, your heart's going a little faster, you may be sweaty, your digestion gets a little fucked up because you're all knotted up. 
because you're not really responding to now. You're reacting to what's not happening. So let's say uh, in the future, your mind goes there quite a lot. Yeah? You have a mental experience of what's called the future. You can't really feel it, taste it, touch it, smell it, and really can't see it, but you get a sense of it. When you're entertaining thoughts about the future, there's a sense you get lost in that entertaining, and you basically forget what's going on now, and you get a feeling. It's not a future. There is no future. It's a concept. But that concept sort of pr promotes a feeling in you as if you've left where you are and gone somewhere. You have a feeling. One of the ways it, it uh, expresses itself, you seem absent to now. You're just sort of like driving and then there's like a three-minute gap when you go up to ass of self and you're in some place of what's happening. And then you're back on 101 and whoop, what the hell, you know, you're going to 90 or something because your foot got heavier, you know, and, or you missed your turn or whatever. Yeah, that, that's in the mental experience. The mind's ex mental experience isn't as, as broad as a, as a physical experience, but it is an experience. You're experiencing a concept called the future. And your head is playing God with that future because it's speculating what's going to happen to you in the future. And anything can be happening in that speculation. And if you have the type of mind that most alcoholic people have or addicts have, it's basically going to be probably what we call on the negative side. You're going to be worried that something bad will probably happen. Yeah. So you go, you're just here, but your head decides, oh, this isn't, this is boring or something. I'm going to go over there. And so you get on your little, you know, magic carpet, your, the thoughts, because you're a thought, actually. The idea of being you is a thought. The mental process is making up a sense of being a self. It's a thought wrapped in a feeling. You get a sense that you're a self, but it's a thought. So that thought gets on a carpet and goes to another land of thought, which is this idea of a future. And then it has, it selfs, it's called selfing. It selfs about what could possibly happen to you in the future. And while you're doing that, it has the ability, because it's using your godlike juice to create an effect out of nothing, basically. That's a godlike move, you know? Like they said, God made everything out of nothing. Well, you're making a lot of shit out of nothing also. But I mean, you probably wouldn't be happy with the crops that you're making, but you're making them. You're making a lot of anxiety out of nothing, literally. So you go into what's not happening, and in what's not happening, anything can happen. You can have cancer. There's no f rules to, to, to stop you from not entertaining you have cancer, because anything can happen there. Yeah. So there you go, and you're having a mental experience of having cancer, and it downloads into the body now, and you feel uncomfortable, and you think it's this moment that's causing the discomfort. But it isn't this moment at all. This moment's actually the solution to this activity. So the way it, it ensures you never see the solution, it says the problem is in this moment. But it's really not. In this moment, the thought and the thinking is happening, but it's making up an illusory what's not happening. And then you bring a product back and, it's, and it downloads now into the body and into your condition as anxiety. It creates the sense of fear out of nothing. It's unbelievable, isn't it? You think uh, there was only a few miracle workers. You're performing a miracle every day. Literally. You're bringing something totally out of nothing. <laughs> you're, bringing, you're bringing worries totally out of nothing, 
and downloading them into the body and experiencing a flip-out. How many earth-shattering events did you have this week? Probably four or five, maybe. Did the earth shatter? No. It's all false evidence that's appearing real to you. Now, this God is a small God because he can't really convince everyone that next Friday is going to happen to them like it's going to happen to you. Because everyone is in their other special day. They're in two years from now when they get married. Or a year ago when they got jilted in that relationship. Somehow, everyone's magic carpeting. Flying, flying, flying. And so when I present my mountains, they look like molehills to you. Because you don't have the same what's not happening. And when I hear you complain about your mountains, they look like molehills to me. That's why I have wisdom about your mountain range, because it isn't a mountain range. And the same thing, you have wisdom about my mountain range, because in fact it isn't a mountain range. There is no really big deal here. But we're making a lot of big deals out of nothing. I mean, you can't believe the miracle work that is. I mean, at least supposedly Jesus brought someone dead that had been alive. You know, he died. He brought him back from the dead, Lazarus. But we're bringing something out of nothing. We're, we're doing greater works than Jesus did every day. We're taking, we're producing anxiety out of nothing. Just, we don't even have to say, Lazarus, arise. We just think about it. <laughs> we don't say anything. We just start wondering, what's going to happen next Friday? Boom, 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 boom. The crescendos and everything. And then, oh, I could be in, I have cancer. What's going to happen to my family when I'm gone? You're not fucking sick. All this unbelievable, oh, I'll miss my kid's graduation, she's three years old. It's total insanity. But it has an effect on what this apparatus went now. So if that ain't playing God, I don't know what is. There's already an effect, happen, or the possibility, which is conscious contact. That's the constant effect here. You're in contact, conscious contact. To override that and make up your own effect, I would say, is playing God. In recovery, it says that's the how and why of the whole program. Quit playing God. It doesn't work. Well, what playing God is, is to me the verb of reliance on self. How do you rely on self? You're identified as it. Jesus, you can't rely on it more than that. You don't believe that? Check it out. Check out on page 64 something in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says very clearly, being convinced, believing with certainty, that's what convinced means, that self, manifested in various ways, has defeated us. So he separates the two right there. If you ask yourself, if everyone in this room, we asked the question, what self defeated you, we'd all have the same answer. It would be myself. Yeah? I'd say myself, you'd say myself, 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 myself. Maybe if I was in, a, in an affair with someone for a year, I could say their self for a year, but now it's myself, 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 myself. Yeah? So it's not self that defeats us, obviously. It's the word my. The word my, to me, represents an activity called identification as. Yeah? So... Let's say, then it says, okay, being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. We will now look at it. I think in English, you was clear on that. It's pointing to the word self, not to the noun of us. It's. It's. Now, we're going to now look at its, self's, common manifestations. And manifestation, you can, you can put it, the other word in it called appearance, whatever, but... 
here's your life, here's life that you seem to be in, or you're actually the threshold for, and there's a lot of expressions being downloaded into this thing called life. He's saying, the way I see it, is that self manifesting in various ways we will now look at its common downloads let's say into life and then the next thing the next sentence it says resentment is the number one offender and then we do an inventory on what most people say we do an inventory on my resentments my fears my harming other people but that's the act of identifying with the root problem which is self they're not your expressions they're self-expressions through you they are the, when you are identified as a self, you're going to have a lot of freaking resentments in life. You're going to be in a lot of freaking anxiety because you are going to be a citizen of what's not happening. You know, maybe in a, in, a, in a citizen of what's happening, maybe in a life they'll have 15 events where fear was a very appropriate response to a situation. We're producing mental anxiety hundreds of times a day, and there's nothing to be afraid of in what's happening. That's incredible to me, unbelievably incredible. And then, so here we are, so these resentments, fears, and harming other people, in my view, are expressions of self. Self, I would look at it as a parasite that's taking you over. It's a disease, but it's not like cancer, which may be in the blood or the bone or on the skin. It's in the mental process. Alcoholism cannot cut it out. It's not in an organ. Yet. It's not in the liver, even though that's one of where its effects are shown, a life drinking. But it, you can't cut out alcoholism in the body. It's not like cancer. You can't cut it out. You can't operate on it. But it's in the mental process. And the mental process is what makes up an ego or a sense of being a self. That's what it does. Where else does it come from? Your elbow? From your kneecap? From your big toe? The mental process makes up all your feelings of being a you. And if that's infected with alcoholism, guess what? Voila! We come into a meeting, and this isn't a recovery meeting, but most of us are in recovery, and we sit here with an incredible An act of denial, month after month, hearing people share their thoughts, their feelings, and their reactions to life, and seeing and identifying every day at least with the person who's sharing their thoughts, their feelings, and reactions, because they sure sound like my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions, and we still don't make the leap that I'm not identified with who you are. I'm identified with what's taking you over, because it's taking me over. That's where we meet. We do not meet. You do not come from the neighborhood I grew up in. Yeah? You may not be of the same religion that I was growing up in. You're not from the East Coast. You're not this. But I can identify with you because the same parasite that took me over is taking you over. And we're sharing what it's like to live under that takeover. And now that we're in recovery, we can laugh. But when we were out there, there was no laughing freaking matter being taken over by that. Because it's a very hostile takeover. Yes? It's an unbelievably rude parasite. And so the, the level of hostility that is its nature, it has to have one of the greatest strategies of any parasite could have, which is once it moves into the host, it convinces the host that it's the parasite so that the host can never entertain being free of it. It has to therapize it, socialize it, get itself. Can you imagine wasting time getting its self-esteem? 
You have to do it as a stopgap measure in the beginning because it is so nasty. You have to pay, you have to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. You have to do something until you don't. But it's unbelievable. So it has convinced us that we're it. It's in the process. The self that grew, you grew into, because you were not a self when you were one to two years old. You were awake consciousness, having a human experience. And then you grew into an idea of being a self. And in that growing in, either it came on later or it was already in the DNA, there was alcoholism. And as long as the more and more self was evolving, the more and more the alcoholism was evolving. Maybe it was latent, and then you drank too much, and then you went over the edge, or maybe it was right there when you were eight, nine, ten years old. You were just a full-blown alcoholic, but you hadn't found a drink yet. It's just the way it is. But it's there, and when it's there, its takeover is rude. It treats you very nastily, and everyone around you very nastily. And the point is, everyone who suffers from it never, never, never can entertain being truly free of it because they're identified as it. And when you're identified as it, you do not know you're identified as it. In my experience, you need to be invited to see it that way because that's what happened to me. After 10 years of sobriety, I was invited to see it in a new way. Not wrestling with it as this obsession with this idea of self, but that... That wrestling was selfing. Because I was identified with what I was wrestling with. It was self trying to get out of self. It's impossible. How can a product of a mental process transcend the process? How can self get out of self? It is impossible. So what do you do? You know that, so then you just therapize it, you maintain a, 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 an intense vigilance to keep yourself, at least you won't flip out at the next barbecue, and maybe you can fake a woman into thinking you're okay for about a month, and maybe you'll get a little relationship for a month, or maybe you'll, whatever, be able to play softball and not, go, not be in jail by 5 o'clock that Saturday afternoon. Wow, it's great success on that level because this is a subjective experience. So it is a great success there. But there's also freedom from that parasite. You do not have to learn how to live with it the best possible way. You can actually entertain being free of it. But you cannot, I could not, and I don't see anyone else that can entertain being free of it when you're identified as it. It's impossible. Because every time you're getting out of self, it's self doing it. <laughs> it's got a perfect fail-safe safe loop. It doesn't care how far you get away from it. It has you. Oh, I'm, I've been really, I'm so far out of self. You're in, and then one second, you're back in it. You do a six-month retreat. Every retreat you take, 15 hours, Kundalini Yoga. Then you leave, and then one extra foot, boom, you lost the whole thing. Like it never happened. It shows you who's, who's, who's boss every freaking dime. I spent two years in a drug and alcohol program. It was at bay for two years. As soon as I left, the night I left and I moved out of Delancey Street, as soon as I moved into the new apartment that I had rented as my, my realtor was Dr. Jekyll Hyde, but Mr. Hyde was moving in. They liked Dr. Jekyll and the place had told me 
You're Dr. Jekyll, Paul. Those, that long period of being Mr. Hyde's over, never to appear again. I had a strong suspicion they were off, you know. But I hope, we had great hope, which we all tend to have. You know, you hope the next shot's going to work, and you hope this, I won't get arrested this time I break in and stuff. <laughs> it's incessant hope. But I ho- had a hope, and I went in. I had my, was in my little room, and then as soon as I was out of those confines, the advertising campaign started running. It was like election time. What have I been missing? Feeling a little sense of irritability, restless, discontent. I've been out of circulation two years. All those parties I must have missed. It wasn't telling me specifically what I'd missed, like getting shot at and run over by cars. It made it seem like a romantic. Oh, yeah, all those wonderful parties that I never went to anyway. But I bought it, I drove, and I, there I went. I had a drink because I thought I could drink. I can't do drugs. No, 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 no. But drinking's okay. I didn't run it by anyone. I just assumed I was correct, like usual. <laughs> had a drink. As soon as I had a drink, I caught some coke, and I went on a ten-month run. Thing took, it took like two hours for it to take over again. It was like... <sighs> All right, what else, what else you got? Five years? Five-year program? Come on, bring it on. You're mine, brother. You may have a little leash right now, but anytime I want to tug it. Why? It's not an obsession with it. It's identification as. You can be identified as it in recovery. It's just as much as when you're in addiction. It just won't be so obvious. It won't be so dramatic. But you can have a life of incredible quiet desperation. Being stone cold sober physically. So this is what someone offered to me. I had an inclination because I was curious. I'd been in recovery 10 years and I was curious about, I don't know what it is, you know, I'm a junkie. I like to get high. I want to be high in life, but I don't want to have to be pulled over anymore for it. Yeah? I don't want to go to jail anymore, but I want to still be high. I don't want to be bummed out and write about, but I'm sober, but unhappy as hell. No, no, fuck that. I want to be happy, high. So, Turned my attention on to spirituality. I was practicing so much, some incredible esoteric things, and having wonderful experiences, but nothing actually was radically shifting. It was just Paul with whites instead of like a black leather jacket. Now Paul is wearing whites. Instead of sitting on a bar stool, you're sitting on a, 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 ca- a cushion. Yeah. Instead of talking to the bartender, I was sitting in front of the boat, you know, the statue. Yeah, but it's the same, same, same seeking, same one who was seeking. Yeah. Then I ran into this person, and they said, "Hey, brother," because I was looking for another technique of meditation, just like you look for a different drug. Yeah. So I'd been about, I'd done about four kinds of meditation. I was looking for a turbocharged, you know, extreme Buddha, Kundalini, straight to Nirvana type thing. And the guy said to me, "Why?" Why not ask, instead of getting a new technique, Paul, why not ask who's the meditator? Well, to check that out, why not turn the light upon itself for a second? So I did. Instead of looking, looking for something to make myself better, which was drug, just like drugs, I looked at who needs to feel better. Who is it that has this imperative to seek? Who is it that's so damn uncomfortable with the way it is that it'll do anything? 14 hours in Thailand or shooting up dope for seven days. It's the same, same. They're all like extreme sports in a way. 
Who is that? When I finally looked that way and I saw there was nobody home, it's just a mental verb going on. Selfing. Yapping and yapping and yapping and yapping. Assuming, assuming, living as if, pointing out everything from the view of being Paul. And when I saw that that was like a paper tiger, something started to change. Yes? The first thing that really hit me was I started to have immunity to the daily thoughts going on in my head. And that is not a minor gem. That's a very nice bit of jewelry. Because if you look at your day, what would you sorely, sorely need most of the time is immunity to thought. You could have a perfect day, perfect place, perfect food, perfect picnic, and five nasty thoughts, and that whole day is erased. You could be in a loving relationship and have four suspicious thoughts. You may have a flip out and get arrested for stalking charges. Just like that. And, you know, all our little destinies, if you had five extra thoughts in a certain situation, your destiny would look different. You have no control to speak it. The thoughts come. You just react to them. The whole point is what's reacting to the thoughts, not the thoughts. What position are you in when there's a reaction to thoughts? Because right now, most of us are lucky. We're not having that cavalcade of thoughts that we used to have. And that we may have a little pause between seeing the thought and reacting to it. And that's all grace, literally. But someone who doesn't have that grace and has five extra thoughts, their life can be tattooed by a one event, like for me. I got hit by a car in 1980, January 30th. And now for 30 years, that's affected my physicality. 30 years every day. Yeah? And I don't even remember what happened. It wasn't, I left my car. It wasn't a blackout then, but my mind blacked out because I guess it was so horrendous it didn't want to remember getting hit. Yeah? But that one little event, for 30 years effect, that's what happens here in this place of appearance. You can have one thought, one thought, and it can tattoo you the rest of your life. I know people in San Quentin who killed someone in a blackout. They don't even know why they're there, and they're there for the rest of their lives. <laughs> so for me, the first hit I had was immunity of thought. The way it was held in the beginning was I finally, I didn't recognize they weren't my thoughts, but I recognized them as alcoholic thoughts, which gave me some freedom from them. Because this is a very personal thing. You personalize the effects of the parasite to an extreme. You're calling them, you're calling all of its effects and expressions yours. And you actually cherish them and hold them dear in a weird way. Seriously. That's why it says in, in step six, we become entirely ready. Usually it's not the consequences. We will hold on to that no matter how bad the consequences are. There's a cherishing. The mind loves what it made up. Yeah. But some, finally, hopefully you get to a point where you're entirely ready to have them removed and then voila, they can be removed. Yeah? But here's this thing going on. Yeah? You're seeing your, its expressions. They're not yours. So the first thing when I saw, I saw them as alcoholic thoughts, I got some relief from them. That pause, which is so damn important, as you know, in one's life, if you're a reactionary, in other words, when you have a thought and there's an immediate reaction to it, the false evidence immediately appears real and is combined with an action by your body tends to create trains of circumstances that bring you misfortune, doesn't it? If you have the thoughts, false evidence about what's happening, 
and they're appearing real to you, and the reaction is so quick, and there's no pause, and then you combine that react, that thought with an action, that sets off the trains of circumstances. Like in the book it says, we make decisions based on fear. And what is self but fear, really? We make decisions based on fear that set off trains of circumstances. So like for me, in some insane decisions I made, like getting pulled over and the only place I could run down was an alley and I thought that was a good idea from the cops. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, all you're going to get is a beating if you try to run away from it. But as soon as I saw him, fear arose, my mind's solution to this evidence, go down the alley. Go down the alley. I get two ribs broken. <laughs> this is just one night in a whole cavalcade of nights like that. <laughs> Decisions based on self or fear, setting off tons of circumstances, trains of circumstances, some local, some expresses, you know, but always bringing me misfortune that I don't feel I deserve. This is the key. It says it perfectly in the book. But it doesn't say what my reaction to that was. And what my reaction to that was was resentment. When I have misfortune, I feel I don't deserve in this ignorance. I resent someone. I have to blame someone for the, be the bringer of that misfortune. Obviously, there's misfortune there. I can't get away from that. But I don't believe I have anything to do with it. I don't deserve it. So, hey, it must be your fault. <laughs> this ignorance promotes what? Another decision based out of the same reliance. Now, I'm talking about reliance on self is the state, and the verb is playing God. So then you go to the self, and it plays God. It tells you what to do next. Despite all the evidence to its insanity, you keep following its suggestions. Yeah? More trains of circumstances, more misfortune, more resentments, more this. And what happens if you're living a loop like that? You're going to want relief. And if relief is alcohol and drugs, you're going to do it. And the type I was, I was willing to pay any consequence tomorrow not to feel uncomfortable now. It was just that simple. And I was not going to be subdued by punishment. It didn't work. The state punished me quite a lot, but it never, never took me off that track. As soon as I got out of whatever detention they had me in, I immediately got loaded again. And more decisions, more trains of circumstances, more misfortune. So what happened with me? This is a simple, simple beginning. It's a little story. I came into AA. The miracle had already happened, actually, because the, the obsession was removed, chilled out. So now I had some ability. I was, had much more of a pause than I ever had before, and I, could, I started going to meetings. And then they, they started telling me stuff, suggesting. And so they go, hey, listen, we suggest you sit in the front and, and put your attention on the speaker. So I go, okay, I hope you're right. I will. So I got in the habit of sitting in the front. They said, you know, if you get a commitment, you probably be able to stay sober better. I said, all right. I made a decision on that hope. I said, I hope you're right. I'll do that. And they said, you, got, you should get a sponsor. I, I said, well, I'm not doing that yet. <laughs> that one I'm not doing. But they gave me a lot of suggestions, and I would go, hey, I had no idea. I said, I hope you're right. So I started making decisions. Obviously, this is a story, but we're going to keep it in recovery land. So I started making decisions based on hope. They also, because every, every decision sets off a train of circumstance. You're an action figure here. That's what happens. Yeah. So here I am, a train that I make a decision based on hope, set off trains of circumstances, and now these trains of circumstances start bringing me fortune that I don't feel I deserve. Before it was misfortune I didn't feel I deserve. Now I have fortune I don't feel I deserve. What happens to me when I have fortune I don't feel I deserve? I experience gratitude. 
Just like I experienced resentment, this reaction is I experienced gratitude. So I started getting grateful to AA. My life is getting better. I was, to me, step two of our program is an observational step. I came to believe because that's what happened. I came to believe. I watched it occur. So I said, okay, hey, okay. So soon, because this whole way of living works, I, it turned away from hope into belief pretty quickly. I started to believe. I started making decisions out of belief, trains of circumstances. Sometimes life would bring me misfortune. But the beautiful thing I experienced was I could see the fortune in it. Where before, with the, with the alcoholic glasses on, I saw misfortune and fortune. When people were trying to help me, I saw them as threats. I was seeing it was like bizarro world. Now I can see the fortune and misfortune. Because somehow, if I can walk through this, it will serve others. Okay, so now, making this thing, this loop, I'm getting, this loop is a relief in and of itself. I don't need to get relief from this loop. This loop of behavior is producing relief. I don't want to escape this to get loaded. I don't want to get loaded because I'm feeling pretty good. And then sooner or later, belief turns into faith. And to me, faith isn't about getting a parking lot. It, Parking space. It was when I first got in. You know, I'd pray to God, please. And if I got a space in front of the marina dock, I'd go, oh, see, my eye of power's working. <laughs> I thought he had clocked out, but look at me, I got a space again. All right. But soon I grew out of that little immature look, and I started feeling the faith. Yeah? Of what? Relying on something greater than self. Why can faith be established and grow in reliance on something greater than self? Because it's reliable. That's why your faith in self, which is unreliable, produces anxiety. When you have faith in something that's reliable, it produces the effects of what faith can do here, which is it allows you tra to travel with an ease and comfort now. And that is really the mother load. I don't care if I'm going to be doing great next Friday. I could care less. Right now I'm free. That's the important thing to me. I could care less about tomorrow. I could care less about 9 o'clock tonight. This is the only moment that has any relevance to me because it's the only one that's happening. I mean, how is that a very philosophical stretch to have to see that the only moment that has any relevance is the one that's happening? It's, do we have to study books to sort of have that view? It's so obvious after a while. <laughs> this deserves the most relevance here. Why? Because it's happening. End of story. Not because I think it's great or not, because it's happening. See, if I think it's great or not, and then I take my attention from it because I don't think it's great, what is that but playing God? What is that but playing God? Where am I going to go if I take it from here? I'm going to have to go to a mental there, because there's only one here. There is only one here. You can't be in St. Pete's down the street. You won't make it. It's 11 after 8. How are you going to get there? It would take you a few minutes to get there. You'll never get there at 12 after 8. It's 12 after 8 now and you're at St. John's. This is the only here that you can entertain. If your attention and interest leaves here, where does it go? There's no other here but there. And what's not happening? There's no other place it can go. You don't want it to be here. Where is it going to go? Is there another here? Show it to me. Let me feel it. Let me see it. Let me hear it. Let me taste it. Let me touch it. Where's your here? This is it. Like the Kenny Loggins song. 
This is it. Make no mistake who you are. <laughs> That's my theme song. I like that song. So you must go to there. There, anything can be happening. But it misses one quality that what's happening has, which is it's happening. You may not have much respect for that, because selfing doesn't particularly care about what's happening. It much rather live in what's not happening, because it can appear to be real in what's not happening. It appears not to be real here. <laughs> so obviously the last place it wants to be is here, but it doesn't have much juice, so it can't erase the here, so it just gets preoccupied with theirs. Your attention and interest has to go somewhere. If it ain't here, tell me where it is. It's here, but in a special here up here. Yeah? All the other gates get undermanned. You're not sensing much. You're not hearing much. You're probably not even noticing the flute. You're not smelling. You're not touching. But you're, in a ha you're having a mental experience of what possibly could happen to you next Friday. It's like a lousy movie. It doesn't have any sound or anything, and it's really like a, like a, it's the, you can't even see it on the screen, but your attention is so absorbed in the central character, it almost is like reading a lousy book and thinking it's great, because it's about you. <laughs> you can really have an, a mental experience, and you pay, every other person, if they read it and it was about you, they would have put it down. They have it off the nightstand, they'd be selling it at the garage sale, but you, you oh yes, I could have cancer next week. What doctor? I think that the best one is not here this month. Oh, no. I'll have to fly to Zurich. I don't, can't afford Zurich. Who's going to take care of my kids? Zurich. I don't even have a passport. I'm going to die waiting for the passport. I can't expedite it. <laughs> it's incredible. And then it's like trying to pull you back in, but you want to... What would be the solution to what's not happening? The solution to what's not happening is a recognition it's not happening. That's all that's needed. You don't need a therapist to take you out of what's not happening and bring you back into what's happening. It's not happening. You don't have to connect to a therapeutic travel agent. Hey, I'm really lost in what's not happening. I can't, there's no flights out. I don't have a map. I don't have, a, you know, whatever, Fyodor's catalog of what's not happening. I don't know where to stay in what's not happening. It's really, really, it's not, the temperature's terrible. It's sort of like hell in what's happening. How do I get it? Don't worry, I'll talk you through it. Give me a fucking break. Send me $300, come twice a week, and I'll bring you out of what's not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> Bing! See, the, thing, the dilemma with that message, though, it's not happening. There's, you don't have a role to play in leaving what's not happening and then having the noble, the noble journey from what's not happening to what's happening. You being the star of every little move. You have no relevance when the message is, it's not happening. There's no journey. I do not have to take one step to leave what's not happening. All I have to do is recognize it's not happening. Now, that may, if that's difficult for you, how about starting then with this? You can go either way. <laughs> recognize what's happening. Yeah. Feel it. Touch it, smell it. You're not doing it. 
This is conscious contact. Just attend to the conscious contact of what's occurring. This may be enough to show you the difference between this and that. Yeah? And if you, if this, when, if you are rooted here, you will be clearly, clearly, clearly see the true solution to what's not happening, is that it's not happening. It will be so fast. And after a while, seeing it as not happening, maybe 20 or 50 or 100 or 400 times, it may take only one time or maybe the 401st time, but there'll be a switch that will go on and there'll be a recognition of what's happening is all that's happening. And that what's not happening is a very small, very small activity in what's happening. It affords you a mental experience and because you're identified as a mental process, that's what it likes, yes? But there's a giant thing going on that can be an antidote to that disease. So either you can see it as what's not happening, or you can say what's happening. But either way, it can prove to be an antidote. And when you finally wake up to where you are, what's obvious may bump into you here. When, you get, when it bumps into you, I call it, you'll sense the presence, yeah? You'll start recognizing consciousness as your inherent nature, not a body. It's definitely not a mind. Definitely not a mind and an interpretive system called self-centeredness. It is just a helmet, in a sense, you're wearing. It's pumping an atmosphere of anxiety in, and you're scared shit, you're walking around this incredible landscape, and you won't take the fucking helmet off. <laughs> Someone who takes the helmet off, you immediately make them special. It's only he or she could live here without the helmet. No, that's not the message. They're going... No, no, oh, you, oh, you're, oh, the Savior, yes, I hope you're dead soon, yes, very, thank you, thank you, but I can't, I can't possibly take that, I'll die, it's so scary to entertain not having a helmet, to who, who's afraid not to have the helmet, the helmet maker, the process of self, you're identified as it. Then, you take the helmet off, you'll do fucking fine. All the fear, oh, 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 she is pretty good. And then all this necessity of what you thought you were will seem to, to be totally unnecessary. And it will fall away like skin off a snake. You'll just sort of fluff off and fluff off and fluff off. It's like I used to use this as an old example with the snake. There's the snake and the skin of the snake. And, you know, the snake molts the skin every year, yeah? Now we're going to look at this event from two perspectives. We're going to look at this event of the skin falling off the snake from the point of view of the skin. Okay? The skin has a sense because it knows the past. It always falls off. Yeah? But the skin believes it's the snake. Yeah? The skin believes it's the snake. And so when it starts feeling like it's going to fall off, it flips out. Now, the snake is identified as the skin, so the snake flips out. The skin tells the snake, hey, get a lot of moisturizer. So the snake is lathering up. And, Stay out of the sun. Don't go out there. Starve to death. Don't, don't make a move. No, no, if my skin falls off, we're gonna, I'm going to die as the skin. But the, the snake's identified as that. Now, if the snake wakes up, this is a total fearful, cataclysmic, what's not happening. The skin hasn't fallen off yet. Because when the skin falls off, there won't be any narrative. So it's totally what's not happening. But from the snake, from the awakened snake's point of view, this is hallelujah. 
it's going to move much freer, all this dead skin is going to fall off, this and that. It's the same event, but seen from two different perspectives. When you see the absence of self from self, it's scary as hell to the idea of self. But when you see from, see from the absence of self, there's no fear involved in it at all. Not one iota. Yeah? When you see the absence of self from self, there's going to be a lot of fearful advertisements. Like, I'll lose my sense of humor. You're really not that funny anyway. You know? I'll just, I'll never have, I won't, I won't recognize my kids. It's total baloney. <laughs> this is a totally insane things it brings up that hopefully keep the skin on the snake. You know, to have the snake pulling the skin in as it's falling away. But if you see it from the absence of self, there is no fear at all involved in it. None. It's a hallelujah. It's a hallelujah moment. Because you're now experiencing, not experiencing, but you're in the state of freedom from the bondage of self. You can't experience freedom from bondage of self. You'd have to be something else to have that experience. But you can, ex you can have... You'll live from, the, from the, the sense of freedom from the bondage of self. Yeah? Because that's all it is. Your consciousness right now is bonded to this idea of being a self. Yeah? Your consciousness has been captured by this mental process because the mental process has produced this thing called a self from all the selfing, and it's captured the consciousness, and now the consciousness thinks it's the body. Yeah? So when... There's hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and smelling, and then witnessing thoughts occurring. The mental process reacts to that conscious content and goes, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. This is the first link to the chain of the bondage to self. Yeah. It has to capture the attention right at the point of conscious contact, or that attention would be the way you live freely. Because your interest and attention would not be bound in the idea of being a self. So the conscious contact is claimed by the mental process. I am the seer. I am the hearer. I am the feeler. I am the taster. I am the toucher, which is not the case. All there is is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching going on. But the head goes, I'm the one. And so now you become what's conscious. So now consciousness is forgotten, and now I'm conscious as this, which is, caused, which is the act of denial of the state of consciousness. This claiming of me being the one that's conscious is the act of denial by the mind to the state of being consciousness. And then, so now, you let's say you want, now you make a big judgment when you get to be 20 or 30 that you've been unconscious for a while. And you get this spiritual bug, a spiritual seeker, and now you want to become conscious. <laughs> But all there is is consciousness. Yes? The movement of unconscious to conscious and then unconscious. If you ever watch that movement in one's life or someone's life, what is the movement predicated on? Unconscious to conscious. You as the doer and haver. You as the omitter or the committer. In other words, the story of being unconscious and then becoming conscious and then being conscious and becoming unconscious is the story about a self. You become the doer and haver. No matter what authority you meet in life, you're the bigger authority. You could have the person that you think is the greatest of all great gurus and they could tell you, you know, Paul, there's absolutely nothing you need to do in the past, now, or in the future. And you go, oh, great one, thank you. Thank you for this boon. I bet you two hours later you'd be sitting around meditating. 
got to meditate, got to purify more. No, that's not what he said. But what hears it is the real authority, you, the playing God. The playing God. And it definitely plays God with the idea of God. It plays, that's the place it plays the most. Because who's telling you if you're getting closer to the truth or farther away from the truth? Who's informing you? Do you, do you get like a, like a webcast every month and the guy, you're getting closer, Paul, yes, send in your report, you're getting farther away. The surveillance camera, you were looking at that woman, that's, you went back a couple steps. Get on the case, you know, purify this week. No, your own head is telling you where you're going and how far you're going and how close you are and how far you are, yes? You ever see that? We say it all the time. Those little games when you're a kid, they, the person would hide something in the yard and then they play hot and cold, whatever. So it's sort of like the self does with God. It hides God and then goes, okay, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Yeah, sign up for another retreat. You're getting warmer. Your eyes are brighter. You're getting warmer. You're talking very nice. You're getting warmer. Practice that gaze. Magnificent one, shedding pity on you. I am like this flute music. One note is 88 years, but it's the same breath, the breath of the cosmos. You're not a flute, you're more like a drum, but you're necessary for me. How could I be a flute without a drum? So send me some money and we'll practice it. <laughs> no. This thing, so it tells you when you're close and when you're far, doesn't it? And let's say you go, whatever group you go into, you take their parameters and now you play God with their parameters. If it's AA, you do it with AA. If it's Buddhism, you do it with Buddhism. With Judaism, you do it with Judaism. Catholicism, you do it with Catholicism. Zoroasterism, whatever, you do it with that. Islam, you do it with that. Whatever, whatever practice or process you get in to sort of quantify your relationship with God, you do the same thing. You're what plays God. <laughs> I mean, in the day-to-day -day activity, you're playing God. Your head is the final authority. You may say, oh, it's my heart, but it's your head. Don't believe your heart's not been co-opted by the head. <laughs> it's got to go down to the gut. I don't think the heart's the, the last stop. <laughs> Feelings are not facts. Yeah. The gut, though, an unspoken yes, something hits and then it's a done deal. There's a recognition that all there is is consciousness. All the appearances of getting close and far, conscious or unconscious, are just appearances. Yes, there are appearances on the surface of the ocean. They never leave the essence of the ocean. They never define the essence of the ocean. They're just a wave on the top. What's, there's the movement, but all that stillness is getting unnoticed because you know why? Our conditioned mind has a trouble recognizing what's always here. It just can't pick it up. It's like the fish cannot really get that it's wet. It doesn't see the water. It doesn't. And it's just running around doing whatever, and I bet you it's not worrying one second. It's worrying about getting eaten and i got to get behind that clamshell, or there's that crab, or whatever. I've seen him before, and what's he doing here? All this activity. But it never has a, probably a qualm about the ocean until it gets hooked and falls on a deck of a boat. And then it's flapping like crazy by its absence. It's knowing the importance of the water. Yeah? <laughs> I feel like us. We're all on the... 
the deck of the boat here flapping. We may have a nice outfit, but, you know, I really like those pants. Where do you get them? We're just flapping around. And then we're looking at other people flapping. Oh, I'd like to be like them. They're just as crazy as you are. They're flapping, but they got some, you know, like a nice watch or something. But they're fucking crazy. You think they have something more than you, but uh, they're just... See, they're suffering. Rich people suffer like rich people. Poor people suffer like poor people. Part of the suffering of poor people, they think it would be different if it was rich. Rich people don't have that because they know it's not different. Gods suffer when they're identified as gods. Angels suffer when they're identified as angels. If there's an, if there's an identification of the verb with a the noun, there's suffering. That's what happens. Yeah. You ever see that movie? This blew my mind. I never saw it. But the one with, uh, what was it, Nicolas Cage and he's the angel? Was it him? He wants to, and he wants to hang out with Meg Ryan? I can't, and he, this is the arrogance of self-centeredness. He gives up his angelness to, cut, to give it a shot in the earth with Meg Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give eternal bliss, total freedom. Oh yeah, I think I'll go down there. I have a chance. I'd like to be with her. What's the deal? Maybe a, a night with Meg Ryan, then a divorce in a few months later, or eternal bliss with the all eternal oneness. Oh, I think I'll go for Meg. Do you think if there was angels, they'd ever want to fucking be here? Give me a break. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This would be like a prison planet to an angel. They'd be going, what the freak? Those people are fucking crazy. But see, the arrogance of self-centeredness, we really think it's wonderful. You know, our suffering looks so cool. <laughs> you know how cool you thought when you were a drug addict? I mean, I thought I had it going on. I swear to God, seven days up, you know, shooting coke, walking down to Bell's Market, totally flipping my brains out. But everyone must be thinking I'm really cool. He doesn't work. Look at him. He must be a dealer. No one was thinking a damn fucking thing. He was just playing God. There's freedom from it. It's often. It's built in. You're conscious. That's the whole beauty of it. You can become conscious of the awareness. You can intimate it. You can be conscious of what you're not. And in the recognizing that it's not you, you'll live consciously as what you are. The whole beauty is consciousness. And you are that. For hell to be hell, there would have to be someone who's conscious of it. Consciousness affords you heaven and hell. It affords you to go home tonight and have the day represented by your head over and over again. And you can't get to sleep. That's because you're conscious. And also the consciousness, when not hijacked by the selfing, is the freedom from all that. It's knowing that you are the light. That you are a verb. There's no noun to be found. There's no Paul that ever had a freaking life. So there's no Paul to mourn the loss of one. Yeah. That's such the beauty of it. Here in duality, if you believe you have something, you're going to mourn the loss of it. If you believe you did something to attain something, you will believe you can do something to lose it. It's called playing God. Everything that may be a given as a tip, just a basic state of what you are, becomes a commodity that can be acquired or not based on what you do or don't do. That's playing God. That's how selfing does it. It plays God. You are inherently consciousness. There is nothing you need to do. You can't become more conscious. 
there's just a recognition of what you're not, which is quite easy if you're conscious and if someone gives you the invitation. It's very difficult to see your identified as self, I found, without hearing it from someone else. Other people have wake up like that, if you want to call it, but most people have to be invited. So you get invited, then there's usually an aha for some people, and they keep coming back. That aha was the total recognition by your unconditioned mind to the fact of what's being said. That what's happened with me. I had an unspoken yes, and that unspoken yes has reverberated at every meeting I've ever been to. And see, I've never missed a meeting that I attend, you know, that I run, because I was here. And the only reason why I was here every time because I'm not here. If I was here, I would have found many reasons not to be here many nights based on what I did and didn't do. I may have done something terrible that day that would have excluded me from coming here. Yes, this is called playing God. You don't see that? If me coming here was based on me, I would have missed so many nights because my head would have passed judgment that I don't have a right to come here and say anything because I did blah, 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 or I didn't do blah, 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 blah. Yeah? I've shown up every freaking night for 19 years because I never showed up. That's the only way I could have ever pulled it off. Literally. You don't think the head would have found some reason to you know, disqualify me? Give me a break. It tries to find a reason every freaking meeting. It's, it's trying to disqualify you from everything in your life. Relationship, everything. It's constantly trying to disqualify you somehow. So that you can fit yourself around its circumstances, which causes you to be very small. Instead of fitting yourself around the circumstances of life, you try to fit life around you, and that makes a life a very small one. It has to be a small life for you to seem big. When you recognize the bigness of life, you get immediate humility of the size you are, which is really, truly irrelevant. Not in a bad way, in a total freeing way. You are totally irrelevant. Your spiritual nature is not based on what you do or don't do. It's based that it's, on, it's your spiritual nature. It's not your spiritual nature, but it's your nature. Prior to physical nature, there is consciousness. We believe, the mind believes, this is where we begin. This is the Alpha and this is the Omega. But I beg to differ. It's consciousness. Because this consciousness is witnessing this every moment. This comes, in a sense, prior to this. This is an object appearing in consciousness. This is an object appearing in consciousness. How could this be the Alpha Omega, Omega if something is watching it? How could this be it if there's something that witnesses it? I would say that's it. And if that's it, I ain't. I ain't is the freedom from what? Bondage to self. This absence is the sense of presence. This presence makes the present absent. And if you have experiences of the presence, it will be qualified by the absence. The absence will tell you how much presence you can experience based on what you did. Yeah? Don't you feel like you need to accrue value to have any value every day? What happens if you hang out? Isn't your head just accounting? I should be doing, I should be working. 
look at that guy, he's making money. I need to make money. I should be... I have I have nothing. I have accrued no value. You have been conditioned up the wazoo. You are just a wind-up action figure, consuming and consuming and seeking and seeking and going out with the herd to the trough. And the trough is dry. So you leave and you come back with your excuses and rationalizations and blamings for the reason why you're still thirsty. But the next day you go back to the same trough. Then you make up another story while you're thirsty. If I would have been in the front, I would have got it. No, you wouldn't have. There's no fucking water in there. It's just a pantomime. The whole the hilarious thing is, really, the person you're worrying about 20 years from now isn't even going to be the you you think you are. You'll have a whole different you then. The you is not a stable, continual thing. It's being produced by the mind. The same, the kid you were four years old has no semblance to your personality now. Not one fucking bit. When I was four years old, I am not anything like the personality called Paul now. Not at all. It's all made up. So if I was worrying about how I, as a four-year-old, was going to be now, I was never going to be that four-year-old when I hit this age. <laughs> I've been worrying about someone I don't even know. <laughs> You are totally concerned about someone who's never even going to be there. <laughs> it's totally insane. You <laughs> well. You've been served the spiritual subpoena. Yes. All I can do. That's my job. I'm so enthused by this. It's 19 years. I can't believe it. I just, I, I just can't believe people. I don't know if I want to give up all my specialness. I think if I just hold out another year, I'll really make it. Yes. If I buy that extra pair of pants, I should put them over the top. Attract that woman. And when that woman comes in my life, I'll be saved. Even though I haven't been saved by all the previous fairy princesses, but this one will be different, I know. So no, I'm going to withhold myself from this moment with the expectation that I'll really embrace the future moment when it's exactly the way I want it to be. So whatever life is delivering to me now, if it doesn't come in the package I want to see it in, I'm going to say no. I'm not going to sign it. I'm just going to leave and go into what's not happening. Until what's happening matches my what's not happening, my nirvanic what's not happening. And then I will, then I'll embrace it. Listen, if you're not embracing it now, you'll never embrace it. It's all a fucking story. Seriously, what my friend said, this life, yeah, wake up, go for it now. I'm pre preparing for the next. No, <laughs> you don't need to prepare. You can stir, man. Check it out. Just turn the light upon itself. If you want to do something, ask a subjective question every once in a while during the day. When you're going into what's not happening, ask who is it? Not, I should stop going there or I, sh or I should go there. No. Don't have any opinion about it. Just say, who is it? Who is it? 
And then see, and so your head will go, oh, it's me. Well, don't leave with that answer. Ask it again. Who is it? Who is this me? And I bet, see, something may happen. Some energy may move. Yeah. Instead of living from an assumption, question where that assumption comes from. See if it's true or not. If it's true, then get a good therapist. You're probably going to need one. <laughs> it's going to be a rough ride. <laughs> but if it isn't true, hallelujah. Yeah? So, uh, let's say, next Wednesday we're not having a meeting. I'm going to go away for two weeks. I'm going to New York, to my homeland. Oh, pass the basket. Sorry. This was throwing your hat at you. I should have told you before. It wasn't in, you know, provocation. So...